We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 tonight, looking at verses 12 through 17. And uh, talking tonight about uh, identity in one sense. Uh, identity is a big issue in today's culture and world. Uh, we ask the qu- many people are asking the question, who am I? Uh, our, I, I? Our identity is tied to our past. It's tied to obviously our present and our future. And if you search for books on identity on Amazon, you'll find um, just a mere 70,000 titles to choose from. Uh, if you're looking for a new job, a, a trending counseling need is for identity counselors, helping people figure out who they are. And so knowing identity, knowing our identity is a big struggle for many people today, and it really wasn't much different for people in Paul's day, in Paul's world, and uh, to the, for the Romans to whom he wrote this book. In Paul's day, people often thought of their identity based on uh, their ethnic background. You'll see people would say, I'm, well, I'm a Jew or I'm a Greek. Uh, people would uh, base it on their economic status or their citizenship or their, their status as a, a free person or a slave. In fact, Paul repeatedly challenged believers in this way. In uh, Colossians 3.11, he says, uh, as believers, he says, Here there is not, not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And he says that again in Galatians 3.28. But we'll see tonight in our passage that Paul addresses this topic of who we are in Christ. You see, it's beneficial for us as believers to be reminded of who we are and whose we are. And just as in other areas of life, it's, it's easy to be influenced into accepting the world's thinking on this topic of who a person is and how their identity is defined. Now, in our world today, as much as ever before, people struggle with knowing who they are. What, what is it that makes us who we are? Is it, is it what I can do? Is it my family? Does my family determine my identity? Do my friends or does society control my identity? And what difference does it make who I am uh, in our lives? The question and answers become quite complex the more you read and listen to, especially secular people in society today. And if you add into that mix the idea of being adopted, as we've heard testimonies tonight, it can, it can make knowing your identity even more challenging. Uh, people who are adopted some, sometimes struggle with knowing who they really are. Uh, they often appreciate and love their adoptive family, uh, but questions can arise about their biological parents. Uh, who, who are they? Uh, what traits did I inherit from them? Are there any medical issues that I might have inherited from them in my family genes? Um, Some even wonder or struggle with the the question of why they were given up for adoption. Well, tonight we're looking at a a passage that talks about our identity as Christians. How we've been adopted by God and who we are as believers and whose we are. And the tremendous, tremendous difference that that does and should make in our lives. And if, so if you're not already there, please turn to Romans 8, and we'll be focusing in on uh, verses 12 to 17 in just a minute. Now, if, if you're familiar with Paul's writings, you know that he is an arguer. He is constantly building arg- arguments, and sometimes his arguments get pretty thick. And so you'll notice at the very beginning of our passage, it begins with verse 12. It says, so then. So before we can dig into verses 12 to 17, we really must understand what's happening in verses 1 through 11 in the prior section. 
And so I, I'd encourage you to take some time this week to read the entire chapter of Romans 8. And you'll see, if you do, you'll see two words that keep showing up throughout the chapter. It's uh, the word spirit and the word flesh. Uh, spirit shows up 21 times in Romans chapter 8, uh, six times in our passage. And uh, the word flesh turns up 13 times, uh, three times in our passage. And throughout verses 1 through 11, Paul builds the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Of living according to the flesh versus living according to the spirit. Of the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. Of the, the, uh, the flesh bringing death and the spirit bringing life. And in developing that contrast, Paul establishes that Christians are no longer controlled by our sinful nature. Because we now have the spirit. So with that brief background, let's, let's read verses 12 through 17 of Romans 8 together. Verse 12 begins, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In these verses, Paul takes one more step in his argument about who we are as Christians and says, we're, that we're no longer slaves to that sinful nature because now we're children of God. And, and if you remember only one idea from this passage tonight, I want you to understand that as believers in Christ, we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature because we're now children of God. Notice that at the very beginning of verse 12 with me, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. He says we're no longer a debtor to the flesh. But what, what does that mean to be a, a debtor to the flesh? Well, unfortunately, many of us understand all too well what it means to owe a debt. Um, and when, that we understand that when we do so, we're under a level of control by the person or institution we are indebted to. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. If you have a... Uh, Hey, if you've taken out a loan to buy a vehicle and you don't make regular payments that are required back on that loan, the bank may come and often do repossess that vehicle from you. Uh, similarly with a house, if you have taken a loan or mortgage out uh, to, to own your house, but you don't make those payments that are required to the bank, they will come and they may foreclose and take away your house. Uh, this is sometimes illustrated in funny ways in movies for us. When the hero saves the life of, of someone, uh, you'll see that that, uh, that person often feels indebted to that person for saving them, uh, just like Jaja Binks in, in Star Wars is a, a funny illustration of that. But Paul begins by telling us that as Christians, we are not debtors of the flesh. And Paul gives us three reasons why we are no longer enslaved to our sinful nature. And you'll see these three reasons in verses 13, 14, and 15, each set off by the word for. Now, the first reason is found in verse 13. The beginning says, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
And now he gives us two, two parts to this first reason. Two, two contrasting conditional, if you do this, then this happens type of sentences. First he says, if you live according to the flesh, then you'll die. Throughout Paul's writings, he recognizes the struggle with sin that every believer faces. Uh, but he makes a distinction between those who struggle with sin and those whose lives are characterized by the same sin over and over and over again without much of a struggle. And Paul is not, obviously speaking of Christian perfection, uh, nowhere in scripture does is sinless perfection expected or described as being possible this side of the grave, except, of course, for Jesus. Um, and so we see it's possible for, for Christians to be carnal. Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 3. He, he describes the struggle that Christians have with common temptations in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But we also see that it's another thing altogether to live according to the flesh. Forgiving, forgiving into those sinful temptations to be the norm and the pattern of our lives. For, for sexual immorality, for, for swearing and cursing and gossip and hateful speech and anger, rebellion to parents and authority, for all, all of these types of sins to be the normal and common behavior in our lives, where, where loving and talking and behaving like Jesus is rare. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. Paul warns us, if, if we live characteristically sinful lives, we will die spiritually. Not not because we have sinned too much as Christians, but rather because we are not and never were Christians. Uh, let me encourage you as, as fathers today, as parents, uh, as friends of loved ones, um, do not take comfort or encouragement from uh, a prayer said as a child or a, a profession of a faith made at a church service long ago or perhaps a date recorded in a, in, a, in a Bible when the life of that friend or loved one is characteristically sinful. Uh, Paul would warn you that such a person is living according to the flesh and, and that their life signifies that they are indeed not a child of God, that they are still in their sin and they will spiritually die in their sin. But he, he contrasts that truth in the second half of verse 13, and he says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. You might be asking, well, what, what does it mean to put to death the deeds of the body? Um, Paul is talking about how we treat our sinful actions as, as believers. See, sin in our lives is a lot like weeds. It's quite common to see weeds growing in our yard, our flower beds, uh, our, our, gar our gardens. Um, but what happens when you leave a weed alone or weeds alone? What happens? You come back and they have grown and they grow and they grow. I know it's been a few years since we've had the harvest hayride at the farm. And so we haven't done much with the wood pile that was there that Jim would burn so nicely for us. Uh, and I remember seeing years ago that there was some weeds starting to grow up in, in the wood pile. And we went back this year to, to clean that up as we prepared for our outdoor services. And we found out that some of those weeds had now become 15-foot trees. And you can see, you can be in the middle of a terrible dry spell and have all your grass turn brown. But there's something in the DNA of weeds that allow them to thrive in almost any condition. In places where it would be almost impossible to grow a good plant, weeds show up. 
in the, cra- in the very thin cracks of your, of your sidewalk, in, in the middle of blocks on a retaining wall. They don't need fertilizer. They don't need to be watered regularly. They start as one weed and they quickly become ten weeds. And what do you do to get rid of them? Well, you, you can dig them out, but if you don't get the root, they'll grow back. And many people even spray them with poison to try to kill them. And, but if those weeds aren't dealt with, if those weeds aren't killed, if they're not rooted out, they will grow and spread and take over your yard and become a tree that's very difficult to deal with. And so it is with sin in our lives. When we allow sin to remain and hang around, it grows and grows and it spreads and eventually will take over our lives and wreak havoc and pain for us and our families. And Paul tells us one of the reasons why we're not controlled by our sinful nature is because we are constantly doing battle with it. We're, we're killing the sins that keep popping up in our lives. Again, not perfectly, but this is the pattern of our life that we're dealing with and we're fighting and putting to death those, those sins. And we see throughout Scripture examples of men and women who overcame sin and in that sense put to death the temptations that they were facing. And sadly, we, all, we have many examples of those who were overcome by those temptations to sin. Uh, the list of those who overcame tempta- temptations is, is very long. I mean, Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, and he quoted scripture back and overcame those temptations. Uh, Joseph is another good example who overcame uh, the sinful temptations of Potiphar's wife. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tempted to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and they overcame that temptation on the other side, we see a long list of, of men and women who were overcome by their, their temptation to sin. Uh, Lot's wife didn't stop from looking back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Samson gave in to many temptations, most notably uh, with Delilah. And Peter gave in to the temptation to deny Christ. Uh, Achan gave in to the temptation to keep the valuables from Jericho, and the list goes on and on. And even though we see many in the Bible who struggled with some pretty serious sins, like even King David, who committed immorality and murder, the believers, the believers' lives were always characterized by obedience to God and the killing of sin in their lives. And so we see the second reason is found in verse 14 for us, where Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul gives us the second reason. Because we are led by the Spirit, we are sons of God. When we, accept, when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and has many ministries in our lives, most notably that of, of leading us. But what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I have to admit that there are many views of how God's Spirit leads us today that aren't found in the Bible. And this is the big deal. As believers, we are to be spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-controlled people. And especially when it comes to the leading of the Holy Spirit, for for whatever reason, um, people like the sensational stuff. Um, People tell stories like, I was asking God what I should do with my money, and and a commercial came on, and and advertising a new $60,000 Ford F-150 King Ranch. And I know that... God is the king of kings, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So I knew it was God leading me to buy that king ranch truck. And uh, it sounds ridiculous, but some of the stories that you hear people tell of how they claim the Spirit led them to do different things are just as ridiculous. 
But scripture no, just nowhere teaches that the spirit leads us through, through feelings or impressions or, or audible voices or dreams today. Uh, since we've been given the completed word of God, the spirit primarily leads us by helping us to understand the Bible and helping us, helps us to obey it. This is one of, the, one of the reasons that memorizing scripture is so incredibly valuable. The Bible that we know and memorize, the more ammunition we give the Spirit to remind us of those truths and to help us to live those truths. I'd encourage you sometime to look at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25, which talk, talks more about uh, the Spirit's work and leading in our lives. So the Spirit leads us, not, not to buy a new truck, but to understand God's word and to obey it is evidence of his working in our hearts and lives. This is why Paul can say, if you see this happening in your life, you see the, the Holy Spirit helping you understand God's word and reminding you of the truth and help, helping you live it, he says, be encouraged that you are a child of God. This should be, give us further assurance of our salvation. And lastly, Paul tells us the third reason we are no longer controlled by or debtors to the flesh. And that's found in verse 15. It says, uh, because our, that third reason is because we are God's adopted children. Verse 15 reads, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Paul gives us a great, huge contrast here. He says, We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but he says, you have, re- you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, it's quite natural for people to fear death and to live in fear. They, they fear their death, they fear of what might happen after, they death, uh, after their death. Uh, they might f- have fear of facing eternity without God. Um, but believers, <clears throat> we see, don't need to be controlled by that fear, Paul says, because we have received the, the spirit of adoption as sons. And you can read and study more about our adoption by God in Ephesians 1, 5, and Galatians 4, 5 through 7. But now in ancient Rome, adoption had a powerful meaning. When a child was born biologically, the parents actually could get rid of that child if they, if, if they didn't want it for many reasons. <clears throat> and so the relationship between a parent and a biological child wasn't necessarily desired or even permanent if they didn't want it to be. It was very different, though, if a child was adopted. In Rome, adopting a child meant that child was freely chosen by the parents and desired by the parents. <clears throat> it also meant that child would, would be a permanent part of the family. Parents could not disown a child that they adopted. An adopted child received a new identity, a new name. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, or debts were erased. Uh, they had new rights and responsibilities that were given to that adopted child. And, and being adopted made someone an equal heir to their father. Joint shares in all his possessions, everything that he had, he had full status as a child. 
and similar to the video testimonies that we heard from today, being adopted by God changes everything for us. Paul notes that in the end of verse 15, that we've received the, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We see that in verse 15, that Abba, not a term that we use today, but that, that was an Aramaic word, a, a tender, intimate, daddy-like term that Jesus used this very term when he cried out to God in, in Mark 14, 36, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Paul is telling us that we have a similar relationship with God that Jesus had, has. He wrote that we are fellow heirs with Christ. It means that we share in everything with Christ. In fact, notice the language used in verse 17. If, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now, we all like the sound of the glorified with him part. But Paul says that we share in Christ's suffering as well. Christians throughout, throughout history have been very familiar with suffering. In Luke 9, 23, he wrote, and he said, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you also may be rejoice when, and be glad when his glory is revealed. And I understand that in American Christianity, we expect to be exempt from the suffering. But being an heir with Christ promises us that we will suffer with him as well. And this truth really should help us. This truth should help us that when we face suffering, and particularly persecution, that, that if, if we're not expecting that suffering, it can throw our faith into a curveball when we face it. But because I understand my identity as an heir with Christ, I don't doubt God or, or his love for me or my relationship with him when life is difficult or challenging or I face persecution and suffering of various types because I know and I understand God's program. In fact, how was Paul able to write and believe verses 36 to 39 of this chapter? He wrote, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. See, Paul wasn't surprised by his suffering or the persecution that he and other Christians faced. He understood that it came with the territory with, with being a child of God. And so he continued to write, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could Paul write that? Because he understood what it meant to be a child of God. Now tonight we have much to be thankful for. As children of God, we've learned that we are no longer controlled by our sinful nature. We now have the power to conquer those temptations and we have the knowledge to understand what it means to be adopted by God, to be one of his children, and that when we suffer, when we're persecuted, we shouldn't be surprised, but rather that is uh, an example that we are suffering like Christ did. And so we have much to be thankful for, for the power that he's given us. And we're going to pray right now as we close our service for God to help us to not only understand these truths, but to be able to live those out in our everyday lives 
uh, for his honor and glory. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you tonight for the truth that uh, Paul has taught us. And as easy as it is to talk about truths, it can be much harder to live those truths. But we ask, Father, that you might help us, remind us, uh, use your Holy Spirit to remind us of the truths of what it means to be your child, uh, of the power that we now have through your Spirit to overcome sin, that we don't have to be controlled by our sinful nature, that you've given us the ability to say, to say no and to overcome and to, to kill those, uh, those sinful uh, temptations in our lives. And we ask that you might help us to do just that so that as our children watch us, as our children hear what we say, hear how we speak to our wives, hear as we talk to our neighbors and our family and perhaps even unsaved loved ones, that our children will see that although our dads, their dads aren't perfect, that they are doing the struggle to honor and follow Christ and that they see their dad overcoming sin, and they can see that power at work in their lives, that our children might rise up and and want to live like us because they've seen his power in us. And we'll thank you and and give you the praise and glory for, for the work that you do in us. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.